This is Hard Rock Safe Space Dandy, a retro science fiction podcast focused on Asian multimedia from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2. I'm your host, Dave, and this episode we'll be taking a look at the film Natural City from 2003, directed by Min Byung-chun. As with last episode, where we took a look at the OVA series Parasite Dolls, which also came out in 2003, this season uh, we're bouncing around a little bit outside of the prescribed 70s, 80s, and 90s decades uh, for the podcast, but um, it being 2003, I think uh, I think we're close enough to uh, call it good still. Additionally, while the season is entitled Mega Tokyo, this uh, particular film is from South Korea. Uh, however, thematically, um, it still ties in with uh, actually what we just covered, uh, which is why I picked it in the first place. So <laughs> we'll uh, dive right on in and see how this ties into the parasite dolls. In particular, the relationship between cybernetic organisms and uh, humans. As before, we'll take a look at a brief synopsis of the film and then move along to key points that um, address the themes uh, we want to cover uh, for this um, season. The film itself takes place in the year 2080, which uh, it's the furthest we've gone into the future um, so far. Uh, we'll, we'll see if that changes throughout uh, this season. I don't, I don't think it will. This is probably going to be the, the latest that we travel, I guess the furthest. Um, the general outline of the plot, we have three main characters and roughly two antagonists. And like with Parasite Dolls, the city itself portrays a, a character uh, however, it's a little bit less descript um, than uh, Genom City uh, that we found in the, the last episode. And out of our main trio, we have R, Rhea, and Sion. R is an uh, MP assigned to the... Well, I'm guessing they're like a uh, anti cyber warfare division um general general police um that this particular unit um specializes in dealing with uh crimes being committed by cyborgs but i think they're also operate as um police for the the general populace then we have ria who is our love interest and uh, one of the main cyborgs uh, that we encounter in the story. And Sion is a secondary love interest, uh, probably, I guess, one-sided love interest for our, uh, as well as the sort of foil that moves uh, a few of the plot points further along. For the antagonist, we have uh, Cypher, who's a combat cyborg. Uh, and then we have Captain Noma, uh, who's the captain of the division that R works for. He's not an antagonist in particular, but given that we find R is an anti-hero, uh, Captain Noma provides the foil uh, against R's antics. So for the general outline, R is, um, he's in love with Rhea, who is a cyborg that dances at a nightclub. Um, he's known her for a few years, and over the course of that time, fallen in love with her. The, the film does not, outside of maybe one or two in small, short instances, um, provide background to their relationship. It's left vague, but I believe that's on purpose. Uh, Rhea ha is, is coming close to her expiration date. The cyborgs in this particular setting um, only have a three-year shelf life uh, before they degrade and are um, forcefully decommissioned. 
um, by the, I think, the, I guess they're recycled. They're recycled by the company uh, Newcom. It's a um, conglomerate, uh, much like Ganem is in Parasite Dolls, or I guess in the, the Bubblegum Crisis universe. Uh, in this instance, uh, R does not want his um, cyborg love to be recycled, so he's searching for a way to prolong um, her lifespan. And with the end goal of them fleeing not only the city but the planet itself, there is, um, in this far-off future of 2080, there are several other planets that um, have been colonized, I, I believe, you know, one of one of which is uh, Koyo, the planet of rebirth, and there is a colony ship which departs, uh, I guess, on a regular basis um, from Earth to Koyo, and this is the Muyoga. Um, if I'm reading it right, the the title of that particular ship um, actually means uh, like leisureless or no leisure, um, which is. The opposite of I think what uh, <laughs> this Koyo as the planet of rebirth is set to um, to do. So there's must be some cultural pun there that I'm not um, not picking up on. But uh, I guess that's not too important to the overall plot, or they would have bothered to translate that in the subtitles. So that's R and Rhea um, in a nutshell, two star-crossed lovers uh, who are at an impasse as to how to prolong their, their relationship. Uh, R is not above committing crimes to um, keep Rhea functioning, and that's, I guess, where he gets his uh, anti-hero um, persona. He, uh, he uses his position in the um, MLPC to uh, deliver, um, I guess, for going with the, the Blade Runner motif, uh, retired um, cyborgs, their parts anyway, to, um, the, to the, the black market um, exporters uh, for, for parts. And they're being recycled by the company. Um, in that recycling process, uh, the, fil the film opens with a neat little cinematic uh, of a few of the cyborgs being recycled. And uh, what that entails is everything save for the uh, AI sort of brain chip um, is reused. It's um, rendered into uh, sort of a particle sludge and then um, put back into the system, I guess, to form the next shell of a, a new um, cyborg. It, it unfortunately doesn't go into detail on what they're doing with recycled parts, but that's my guess. Um, so he he's friends with the manager of the um, reclamation plant, and it's, it's through that friendship and the connections he forms that he um, arranges for particular uh, cyborg chassis, I guess, um, to, to go missing um, prior to uh, their, prior to their recycling um, session. And he, he uses those connections to furnish uh, not only a black market um, cyborg technician, but also the owner of the nightclub that um, Rio works at. He, he provides him with, uh, I don't know if it's parts or maybe recycled cyborgs. Uh, it wasn't too clear on that other than he is paying him um, to keep Rhea on, I think, as a, uh, as a worker. And that brings us to Captain Noma, um, ours, the commanding officer. Uh, they they run afoul of a combat cyborg who has um, he's act uh, the, the the cyborg is acting autonomously and has taken over one of the Newcom medical facilities. Uh, this particular facility 
has um, the DNA data storage of the, the city's um, occupants, the human occupants. And the cyborg is searching that database for, uh, at this point, we don't know. Um, it's some sort of genetic DNA match um, that, that the cyborg is looking for. This, this cyborg is uh, Cypher N77. The, uh, the trailing digits on there are um, indicating the year of the cyborg's uh, inception. So uh, 2077, um, giving the uh, cyborg with that three-year um, expiration period uh, is, is coming up on in his life term as well. And a lot of this side information um, we are given uh, in on-screen data files uh, or small moments of dialogue between Captain Noma and his um, uh, primary assistant um, in, in the, in the Detective or MP Bureau, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> this division. So they're they're tracking or they're intent on um, stopping Cipher from whatever his uh, nefarious goals are. Uh, and in, during this mission, uh, we see that R is more concerned um, with his own goals rather than the 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 goals of the squad, the squad goals, as, as you might say. And um, in doing so, he he's like, he's physically endangering um, his, his fellow MPs uh, who are summarily, many of them are killed um, by the other combat cyborgs that Cypher is uh, working with. We get a few um, neat little action scenes with the combat cyborgs versus the MPs. And we find out that the cyborgs love to do a lot of acrobatics, um, flipping around and spinning in the air, um, ripping humans' limbs off. Um, there's a, a the, as part of the mission briefing, um, Captain Noma takes the time to remind his men that the cyborgs that they're facing uh, or I guess all combat cyborgs are roughly four times as strong as a normal human so uh, a physical getting in close to do physical combat with these cyborgs is not advised um, however that's a little bit unavoidable um, given that they're sneaking into the medical facility through the sewers uh, and the cyborgs know that they're coming in through the sewers and have laid a, a bit of an ambush for them Now, while the cyborg, their acrobatics may look flashy, um, and there's quite a bit of martial arts um, involved in their takedown of the uh, of the MP unit, it serves a purpose uh, in universe. Uh, the during the briefing, um, Captain Noma reminds everyone that the only way to um, ensure that a cyborg is correctly deactivated is to destroy its AI um, control chip. Uh, if you do not destroy the AI control chip, no matter the amount of damage you deal to the shell of the cyborg, it will continue to function. Um, and since they are that much stronger than a human, e even a minor functioning of it is, um, is, is quite dangerous. On part of the cyborg's since they don't want to be hit in the AI control chip, which is at the, the base of their spine, or I guess the where your base of your skull, where the spine connects into the skull, um, it's to their benefit to kind of jump around, spin, flip, do cartwheels, any, anything that can keep you moving enough to where it's difficult for someone to get the, they specifically need a headshot or uh, I guess a, a neck shot would be more appropriate the um the mps are equipped with a not a uh, neural guns uh, which are supposed to disable the ai chips um there, there's no visual difference really that when they're firing their weapons it just looks like a regular rifle or, or pistol um, that they're using 
there's also a somatological uh, response that cyborgs give off, um, which humans do not. And this is also how the uh, MPs are, are supposed to be able to track them and potentially differentiate a cyborg from a human. Outwardly, they are, they're no different. Um, they resemble the replicants of Blade Runner uh, fame. Uh, they bleed. Um, there's, yeah, there's no physical difference uh, aside from their enhanced strength um, that, that you could just outwardly look and, and judge a cyborg versus a, um, a human. Thus the need for the somatological um, response sensors uh, that they're wearing. This night, night vision goggles is basically I think what they were looking, looking like anyway. So during this exchange between the cyborgs and the MPs, the the, the scene shifts uh, back and forth between the, the, the conflict with the MPs, um, Captain Noma's uh, advanced team uh, heading toward the, um, the medical lab, and then the activities of uh, Cypher uh, inside the medical lab. Well, we find that he does uh, successfully locate a match, uh, a DNA match to, to whatever he's looking for, um, and that match uh, turns out to be... Um, Sion. So, it's a uh, it's a little shoehorned, or I guess kind of overt. Um, what what's being done with Sion as as a plot device? Um, well, since we're not going scene by scene, I'll just cut to the chase. Um, it, as it turns out, uh, Cipher is. Um, it's an apt name for the um, cyborg uh, because he is, in fact, um, a, a shell uh, for one Dr. Yero. The same Yero that R is working for, uh, who R believes is um, helping him find a way to extend uh, Rhea's lifespan. Um, the, the doctor informs R that um, Sion is a match uh, for, for Rhea and he had, the doctor has a technique that he's developed which would enable um, the transfer of Rhea's cybernetic memories um, into a new body, that being Sion and thus Rhea would live on um, I'm thinking fully taking over um, Sion's personality that's what this seems to, to be implied R uh, is totally on board with that idea he has no problem uh, trying to track down Sion and um, Forcibly, he's not even giving her a choice. He's not convincing her to take on these memories. He's just going to sacrifice her um, in the name of uh, continuing his cyborg lover's lifespan. Um, yeah, it's not like it's not great. Uh, it's an uncomfortable idea, I think, on a few different levels. But it it deals specifically with the, the sort of morals and values that are that are kind of being shown in this film. And when you add to that um, the fact that uh, Dr. Um, Yiro has already replaced, um, or I guess he's, he's transferred a copy of his memories into Cypher and is... Uh, as the name implies, using Cypher as a Cypher for Dr. Giro. Uh, the, the good doctor, um, on the whole, is a homage um, for the uh, Dr. Um, Giro in um, Dragon Ball, in Dragon Ball Z, the creator of the androids. Uh, it's 
it's an it's not it's, it's an overt um, reference and um, we find that um, Dr. Yero was dismissed from his employment at Newcom because he was conducting um, these somatic tests uh, on himself uh, in dealing in memory transfer um, from cyborg to cyborg from cyborg to human and then from human to cyborg which is what he successfully does and is running around in the body of um, Cypher and 77. Of course he's not said any of this to um, R and is tricking him into um, providing the body of Sion which uh, because Cypher is reaching the end of his lifespan uh, the goal is to retransfer all of um, Dr. Giro's uh, memories um, into the human host, um, Sion, instead. And that's pretty much uh, Dr. Giro in a, in a nutshell. Uh, let's, let's move on to Sion, and um, her role in the story isn't just... Um, this sort of sacrificial proxy. Um, not only is she a DNA match for both um, Rhea and Dr. Giro, um, she is a stand-in for innocence, uh, innocence lost, and um, transmission of uh, the, the dead into heaven. sort of see why. Um, Sion works as a fortune teller in the, the slums of this of the, the larger city, in an area called Ruin City. She sells, or, yeah, she, she plies her trade selling fortunes, but that's also a front for uh, selling herself. The her, her character is reminiscent of uh, uh, Eris from Final Fantasy VII. Uh, again, I think this is not uh, not reaching and is done in homage. Her, I guess to take that analogy a little bit further, um, her introduction and her ending sort of bookend the, the film. And she's introduced uh, standing atop a um, the, the the ruins of a this building and uh, there's a little park and in this park um, she's doing a little bit of voiceover because there's a ruined statue in particular a female goddess of which she states there used to be two uh, however during the last great war one of the statues was destroyed um, by the film's end no uh, we we come to understand that um, Sion is a, a stand-in and sort of avatar for that um, broken, or I guess the, the destroyed goddess. She's the other part of that pair. The, the role of those goddess uh, are to ferry the souls of the, the lonely, the lonely departed um, into heaven. Uh, to be a little bit more overt in that um, she she buries her father um, in that garden in the, in the beginning of the film alongside the AI chip of his um, cyborg lover um, she expresses some distaste toward her father's choices but Nevertheless, she follows through with his last wishes, um, burying him uh, with his lover, or the AI chip of, of the, that represents the cyborg in, in this case. Some of her disdain for her father's choice, like as not, has to do with the, the transient and temporary nature um, of these cyborgs. Uh, not unlike humans, but the fact that it's a mere three years, um, and that's that's all the time they're allotted. There's no extension of that. 
um, before they're they're forcibly reclaimed by the um, newcom company. That is the issue uh, that she has uh, with, with her father's, you know, last years um, spent uh, in the company of a cyborg, um, potentially rather than with his um, daughter. Her home life did not seem uh, in per- particularly well well off for her. Um, this is why she's providing for herself on the street in any, any means she can um, in selling these fortunes. Uh, I.e. red is that uh, flower girl um, trope. We also find that, I mean, she's not, she's doing the job that she is uh, by, of her own free will. Uh, however, it's not uh, her number one choice. Uh, if she had some other means of providing for herself, she would. She's just doing this begrudgingly. Uh, and the few instances we see uh, of her at work, um, they are less than stellar on part of her clientele. Uh, it's not something that she's maybe perhaps not suited to uh, or that um, that job in particular in this setting is not a, um, a lucrative or well-treated one. Fortunately, or at least uh, as fortunate as Seon is in this, in this um, tale, uh, she has the help of a neighbor, Gongvang, uh, an older woman um, that lives nearby who, uh, who looks out as best she can for um, Sion, sort of a um, replacement mother figure, uh, while still being stern in her own way, uh, is, is looking out for Sion's best interest as much as she can. Um, there's also a that may have been a name, but there's a young uh, information broker. It's a little child that um, inadvertently or unwillingly um, sells out uh, Sion's location to R, uh, who is at this point tracking her down on behalf of uh, Dr. Jiro. So in tandem, uh, while... R is looking for um, Sion. He also goes to the nightclub where, where Rio works and um, ends up taking her home. Uh, she works and lives at the nightclub as far as I can tell. But um, her, her performance on the, on the dance floor has been um, degrading. We find out that she's losing her starting to her memory starting to fail her and her um, physical abilities. Uh, not just limited to dancing, but general motor control um, has has begun to fail her. And because the the, the club owner uh, isn't really willing to keep her on in a in a working capacity, if I recall correctly, uh, R needed to buy her out from um, from the nightclub. Uh, and he either does so or has had has done so. So he, he takes her home to his apartment and she lives with him for the, the remainder of the, the film's runtime. Um, additionally, he ends up um, bringing Sion to his apartment where Sion clearly doesn't really get along with um, Rhea which is understandable given her past experience or at least her relationship between herself and her father's um, stand-in cyborg wife. It's a a temporary arrangement and it doesn't last very long. Um, R takes Sion to see uh, Dr. Giro under the guise of a general health inspection, like a clinic visit, the um, 
the ruined city, or I guess the city in general, uh, there's an announcement over the intercoms, like this, this, this like a citywide uh, intercom system. Um, and it uh, informs us, as well as the occupants of the city, that there, um, there is a resurgence of the Yudola virus, which is a, a futuristic STD. Um, it's thinking it's highly contagious, uh, and the, the announcements recommend that anyone um, visiting the ruined city for uh, extracurricular, extracurricular uh, pleasure activities um, is advised to seek uh, treatment or at least um, visit a clinic with their partner to ensure that everyone is uh, healthy and clean. Uh, under that guise uh, are um, tricks Sion into into visiting the, the good doctor and Dr. Giro um, before he can begin the transfer um, of memories is um, interrupted because our our good friend Captain Noma has had R under uh, investigation. Um, R, in particular, was suspended after the disastrous um, attempt to stop Cypher at the medical facility and being in the film. Uh, that being the case, he had had uh, R under surveillance. Um, his assistant, Noma's assistant, um, finds out that uh, Dr. Giro has been in contact with R, and that's something that they um, weren't expecting, uh, being as uh, Dr. Giro is a noted figure in the black market community and is an unlicensed, I guess, practitioner of his craft. So they uh, conduct a raid on Dr. Giro's business, um, arresting the doctor and... Um, not really doing anything to R aside from setting him up uh, for a trial that would uh, take place after his um, suspension finishes. And this is where things come to a head uh, as R is not sure how to proceed with Dr. Giro in um, prison. Uh, Rhea is continually... Uh, getting worse, degrading further. She um, she has few moments where she's sort of lucid enough to um, converse with R. Uh, most of the time, she's she's um, occupied occupying herself, uh, taking care of a virtual plant, and Sion is left to her own devices. Uh, at this point, not really wanting anything to do with um, R again. So, to move forward, at least in, in R's case, he decides to free um, Dr. Giro. And during that attempt, uh, the MPs intervene and kill Dr. Giro, um, realizing or rather they've come to the understanding that um, Giro is an, really sort of a, not an empty shell, but his main consciousness is uh, residing inside of Cypher, who has repaired himself and is at large. Um, Cypher goes on to recruit uh, another combat android, um, technically, this wasn't a kind of, I believe it was a, um, like a, a pleasure model android, or not android, cyborg, that um, was in stasis at uh, Dr. Giro's lab. It was a, a test version that he was using to um, use for parts for um, Rhea. Uh, but instead, uh, Cypher uploads the the programming um, or combat protocols from the combat cyborgs into the the pleasure robot and so he's 
armed once more with a like a sidekick. And together, Cypher and the new newly created combat assassin cyborg uh, go after uh, Sion to uh, get her body so that the doctor can uh, immortalize himself uh, within a human frame. And this is where we see the full extent of the doctor's plans because not only does he want to be able to continue to input his consciousness into a new body, a new host body, and just ad nauseum, just continue to do that. Uh, by the time each each successive body begins to wear down, uh, he's not content with the state of the. I guess it's the government. Um, it's a. Uh, it seems like the city's under kind of martial law, and he doesn't want to be bothered again by the um, the military police. So to deal with that, he um, takes over the headquarters of Newcom using their lab to facilitate his experiments. But it's in that lab, uh, they have a storage of um, unactivated combat cyborgs. Uh, Dr. Euro reprograms all of the combat cyborgs um, with the skill sets and uh, personnel files of the MPs uh, send and sends the cyborgs to go kill uh, all the police. So he has no opposition uh, to his, I don't think it's world domination, but it's a grander scheme um, to, to, to place himself in a position of power or at least exist unopposed um, because what he's doing is against uh, many regulations and why he was fired from the, the Newcom company in the first place um, doing human experiments and memory transfer uh, pr projects. This uh, sets the final stage for the film and provides a space for Captain um, Noma to go out in a blaze of glory. He attempts to destroy the, the like sort of mainframe of the building where all the, the cyborgs are being released from uh, via an attack uh, helicopter, but that that attempt fails. Um, and instead has to in, in institute a self-destruct sequence because all cool sci-fi buildings um, need a self-destruct sequence um, embedded into them. The The countdown is, I believe it was something sort of like 10 minutes, but the, the building itself is massive and probably would take longer than that to get out um, safely and get to a safe distance for an entire building that's going to implode. But, uh, of course, movie logic stretches that five minutes or ten minutes, whatever it is, uh, into much longer. Uh, enough time for R to rejoin his captain and um, have a sort of R and Noma versus um, Cypher at the end. A little, little battle. And Prior to, as well as during the, the battle scene, um, the movie it sort of bounces around. So the very the very beginning of the film was uh, R and Rhea at the, um, I guess it's an airport, spaceport um, terminal, uh, sort of sitting in a simulated environment uh, for um, Koyo and kind of enjoying the peace and solitude that that brings. The, the movie ends on that note where they're still there, but um, the impending destruction of the, the city uh, spurs are on to go help his um, one-time, I guess, best friend, uh, Captain Noma. And... 
as a result, uh, both men end up sacrificing themselves. They're not, they're not able to get out of the building in time. Um, but they, they do stop Cypher in his quest for city domination. Unfortunately, uh, the, the, the tale does not end on a high note, really, for almost anyone involved. Uh, Rhea herself, uh, they were never able to renew her body or transfer her memories or any of these um, fanciful um, ideas. Uh, and instead, she sitting on the bench in the like, augmented reality uh, of the, the sort of the Koyo simulator, um, pulls out her own AI chip, effectively committing suicide. Uh, Xion somehow or another um, tracks her down and, and finds her um, cyborg corpse there. And this is the, the bookend I mentioned um, earlier. She buries R, or I guess his ashes or whatever's left of him, uh, alongside Rhea's um, AI chip um, in the little garden. And the, the artificial flower that um, Rhea had been growing uh, is a representation of another flower that was in the garden, uh, the petals of which are carried on the wind um, in, the, in the ending of the film, thus symbolizing the souls of both R and Rhea ascending to heaven. Um, it's all very bittersweet. And that's why... Xion is that sort of avatar of that the, the missing goddess. Um, she's she is the one who's shepherding these souls, uh, consciously so. And another aspect of the film that bears not skipping over um, is the context in which this is uh, this is created and the context for why these combat cyborgs. Um, as threatening of a concept as they are would be appealing. Um, at the time of the filming in 2003 and then unfortunately until present day, um, both South Korea and North Korea are operating under a ceasefire um, agreement. They are still technically at war. And South Korea... Uh, also operates under a uh, mandatory military conscription for all uh, males. Uh, it's a, it's a four-year um, mandatory term of enlistment. Uh, that could be averted in such a case where the soldiers were um, automatons, or in this case, cyborgs, um, as stand-ins for the populace, um, saving saving these young men from uh, such a, a, the a hardship and a theoretical um, resumption of the war. The, the Great War alluded to in the film is, is not, of course, the, the Korean War, but uh, I think is a stand-in for it. So there's that angle as well. And while it's not as visible on an international level or through viewing um, outside of its con of its native context uh, it is part and parcel of the meaning uh, behind this film and this hopeful but at the same time sort of bleak extension of the future uh, the fact that to get to a more peaceful life or a paradise you have to, in, in the terms of this film, you have to be dead. That paradise is heaven. Um, the actual Koyo, this, this planet of rebirth, is not shown. It's only shown virtually. It's a virtual space um, within which the characters can um, find some measure of peace, but economically, uh, feasibly, they, they cannot do so. They cannot make it to this planet. We never, the, the viewer doesn't see this thing. It's a, it's a myth, um, and it's a, it's a direct stand-in for that idea of um, 
heaven um, in, in this case. The relationships between the cyborgs and humans uh, is it's ambivalent. There are sides of this, you know, t two sides to it where the cyborgs are general workers. Um, we see them as dancers in a club. We see them as these, um, there's the pleasure droids, or droids, <laughs> the pleasure cyborgs. Um, there are also day-to-day -day, um, service tasks. Uh, one of the retreats that um, R has for his um, from his daily life, something that he doesn't go to his dep uh, his apartment or work um, or the nightclub. Uh, a place removed from all of those is a um, sort of outside bar, a, a, a street vendor that he frequents um, and has frequented for uh, at least three years um, because the the owner knows him full well, uh, but also the owner's assistant uh, cyborg at one time um, had known R. Uh, unfortunately, we see that um, that, that assistant, the waiter, um, has degraded to such a point that he no longer remembers R and adds to the, um, the, the bleakness of the setting, this sense of defeat. Uh, R is ostensibly doing all these bad things, dealing with the black market, um, stealing, let, letting his comrades die, um, all in the name of love. And in some other setting that could be admirable in its own way, um, aside from letting your partners be killed, uh, but doing whatever it takes to ensure the safety um, of, of your loved one uh, and doing bad things. I mean, I guess that's really an extension of the idea of war and the things that these men are, are forced to do for the security, quote-unquote, of their country, of their fellow countrymen, um, and they're wrapping around that with the fact that the, the people that they're battling are technically their own fellow Koreans. This is uh, the perfect setting to kind of explore those themes and leave uh, an open ending, um, a sense of hope. Um, in this case, that hope is that no matter what you did in life, you are still able to proceed on to uh, a paradise uh, of your own. Um, that's bleak. That's potentially a little bit um, depressing. And a lot of these themes are, are similar ones um, that we would see in a general war movie. This has the, maybe some of the flavor of that um, and the subtext of it but it's at the heart, it's a, a sort of human story, and the relationship between humans and cyborgs is not a straightforward one. It's nuanced, it's on many um, different levels. And in that way, it, it, um, it's a, almost a perfect companion piece to the um, Parasite Dolls uh, OVA, uh, taking some of the same views on human and cyborg uh, relations that that um, are, are explicit in um, the, the Bubblegum Crisis series. So while I didn't go um, specifically scene by scene, I, I did cover the, the general plot. Uh, I highly recommend this film. The, the computer graphics, um, they aged fine. There's a, maybe a few moments where you can tell that this was from 2003, but all in all, it's a it's a more than half decent film. It's an uh, interesting sci-fi uh, little um, tale, uh, and it it accomplishes uh, what it needs. It gets the message across 
and is no less relevant today than it was uh, more than I guess more than ten years ago now. Uh, yeah, if you if you have the chance, check it out. Uh, if you need to know a place to watch it legally, um, I'm also aware of that, so I will, I can let you know. And if you have comments or feel that I misread something in the film, um, also let me know. I I'm definitely uh, game. Uh, for talking about this uh, in depth uh, a little more uh, and perhaps my understanding of these characters uh, is not um, the exact same as uh, experience you might get um, from watching this film that will pretty much wrap us up for this episode 2 of season 3 next episode we'll be taking a look at the AD Police Files OVAs um, from 1990, so we'll be going back to the appropriate decade uh, again. Uh, and after that, we will be looking at a film uh, entitled Lady Battle Cop, also from 1990. So here's to next time. If you would like to contact um, the show, you can find us on Twitter at Rock Space Dandy or myself. Uh, also on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus. As usual, the links will be in the notes. Uh, if you would like to visit the website, we are hrssd.fireside.fm. There are blog posts with the season schedule there, as well as um, all previous episodes. Um, so for now, this, this is Hard Rock Saves the Space Dandy, signing off. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>